0: Hello, welcome back to another episode of the human side of learning and talent technology. I am Bennett and I'm here with Chris and Tiffany. And we're here to talk today about compliance training, everyone's favorite topic, whether you're an employee, a manager, an executive, everyone loves compliance, right? (laughs) Spending time at your computer, spending time in a classroom, learning about things you already know about over and over again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Compliance <laughs> is very important. We're going to talk about it today. I don't like my own compliance training, but Blue Water does love helping organizations with the strategy and process and ways of, of really combating compliance training and, and getting it to the right people at the right time and getting those check marks done before they turn red, right, <laughs> on, the, on the big bad report, the compliance report. So we're going to talk more about that and, and really dive into that further. Um, And what we're seeing with kind of the industry or different industries and a lot of industries that are facing some new complexities with the pandemic and everything going on with furloughs and people sitting on the bench or or not being able to be in the classroom because of the pandemic. We're going to dive all into that. Uh, For some reason, before we get into that, we were having some video game talk earlier. So I wanted to bring that to the podcast and kind of talk about what's your favorite video game or what do you remember as a kid? playing video games, they've become so popular now, um, and they're so realistic and amazing now. We're from different generations, or at least Tiffany and I are different from Chris. So, Chris, why don't you start us? Talk about how, you know, the video games y'all played in the front yard, like kicking cans or playing jack- jacks or something, are different um, from I today. will say that I never <laughs> played with jacks. but Okay. The the you know, we
1: oh, Of course you played kick the can, right? <laughs> but it was... Kicking something. I don't know that we ever actually really had cans that we were kicking. Was <laughs> it your little brother? Uh, well, I... Might have, no, I'm not going to admit to <laughs> any of that
2: yeah. at all.
0: No, no, don't,
1: no, but he was on that. Don't admit to it. Because I think we turned kick the can into tackle the person who kicked the can. So, yeah, I probably did. Yep. Um, no, our our favorite things to do were horse apple wars in the backyard and a game what we call bounce off where you get on the trampoline and the goal is to try to knock the person off the trampoline while you're bouncing.
2: God uh, trampoline. But then when it was raining outside. We had a,
1: we had a trampoline. What, it was raining outside? It was what video battery. games did you play? Video games. Yes. Well, we didn't really have video games um, in in the house. My dad brought home this one uh, Fairchild video game. I think it was called Channel F or something like that. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of really interesting, weird games. But my video game stuff really started with pinball mm-hmm. uh, in the late '70s. And and I know the two of y'all know I love pinball because we actually have pinball machines
0: here at Blue Water. Yes, yeah, we get uh, to we get to have a little taste of Chris's favorite video games growing up or as a young adult because we have some pretty old-school pinball machines in our office. We have a couple um, arcade, what do you call them, like the stand-up arcade Mm -hmm. machines? Yeah,
1: arcade video
0: games. King Kong um, or Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. Yeah, sorry. King Kong. Donkey Kong <laughs> and uh, Asteroids, which is my favorite. Asteroids
1: is a lot of fun. So. Asteroids Asteroids is a great game. But we used to go to, when you had video games, I mean, it was not on your home console. They were at arcades. So uh, you would go right. to the video arcade arcades and there was this big old bag place of called you bring quarters. Mm-hmm. There were quarters at that point in time. Okay. Right. Um, and uh, you'd bring, bring a big bag of quarters, and we had to get really good at playing video games because you start to run, or pinball machines, you'd have to run out of that. But there used to be a place at the mall called Tilt, and we would drive over there and go play video games. And, yeah, that's back when the malls first came out, and they had arcades. It was great. So nice. so I, along the way, yeah, I love collecting the, the pinball machine and and video games and we've got a couple of them but i will say my my favorite was video game was always playing donkey kong it was always playing donkey kong cool so and i tell my wife and she asked why was that your favorite one and i said because the guys they're going to save the redhead and my wife happens to be a redhead mm-hmm. so she kind of so sure, um, but anyway, you're, you're uh, surrounded by redheads. I'm your, surrounded by redheads in my life. How <laughs> did that? How did that happen? But that's all fun. I'll just say that if anybody is in Plano when we open our new office, we're gonna actually have a little arcade area with all the old games. Mm. If you're in town. Give me a call. Come by and we'll go play together. Absolutely, and, and, yeah. And it won't cost any quarters. No
0: quarters. But maybe,
1: but maybe just one or two. Maybe just one or two. Admission um, fee. Yeah, admission <laughs> fee. Uh, donation yes. to good charity or cause. So those are the games I played, and I just I still play pinball and video games, and awesome. don't get too much in the console games. Y'all were growing up in a different time than I yes. was. What about you, Tiffany? So what did y'all play when you were kids? We,
2: I am a, the beginning um, gener- of the generation of the Oregon Trail game. So I started my video games in class. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite cool. video
0: games were educational video they games. They were. You know,
2: lost a few kids to a snake bite uh-huh. here and there. Dysentery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: When you got in the river. You lost all your your axles and wagon. wheels. And yeah, mm-hmm. Wade Bennett sounds like you played Oregon Trail yes, as well. Yes, Tiffany and I are from the same same uh, generation. Same, just about the same age. And I remember playing a lot of Oregon Trail in elementary school, and, and one called Go West, where you you build like a you know, basically your own crop field, and tornadoes would come destroy it. You have to go into town and buy all new supplies huh. and whatnot. It was really cool. But my, my favorite video games as a kid, I grew up as consoles started coming out, and I was a big video gamer. So I had the N64 and the PS, Playsta- the original PlayStation and PlayStation 2. I think my all-time favorite, though, was either NFL Blitz on the N64 because it, it was like football but with no rules, right? You could just, like, body slam the, <laughs>
2: the
0: player after you tackled them and just keep going, and there was this one play that always worked to perfection if you knew how to run it and then uh ken griffey jr baseball also on the n64 i knew the cheat code that you could put in if you had ken griffey jr batting where he'd hit a home run no matter what so i always play with ken, ken griffey jr and always won so i guess i always like to either bend the rules or cheat but and i found games that i could do that with but but hey <laughs> you know they called them Some cheat codes but change. i don't
1: think that they're cheating if it's designed in the game
0: that's true if it's built right. into the code it's of the a, game then it's an you know it's an, an advantage,
1: advantage. Yeah. but but it's not cheating if it's built into the game
0: yeah i remember back in the n if you were to days, reprogram
1: the simulation or order to change the condition of the test now that might be right. cheating that would be cheating
0: and they call that hacking now the kids call it <laughs>
2: okay.
0: all right yeah i play so it, so I, I don't still want, want that happening by the way i have some friends that are really good at it and we get a lot of accusations as they call it too. <laughs> hackusations. Like if you are really good at a game they'll they'll say you're hacking and that means you got a accusation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that's pretty funny. So thinking of video games and and bringing that back to kind of the learn like you know, we video games are a critical part of how as Tiffany mentioned kids grow up and, and learn and and whether it's motor skills or whether it's educational video games or gamification, <coughs> excuse me, gamification in the, uh, in the content world, um, content is, is huge, and part of content, the biggest driver of content is compliance. And I think it's probably safe to say that the LMS system originally was created to house and manage and, and um, deliver compliance training. Um, you know, and it's obviously grown so much more than that now. There's not just an LMS, there's, there's just learning technology. There's so many different supporters of the LMS or, or standalone learning experience platforms or what have you. But at the end of the day, compliance is still huge. Compliance is still a driver for just about every business, some more than others. So Chris, why don't you get us started about why we wanted to talk compliance today and um, you know, what are the key things to, to, to focus on?
1: Yeah, I think um, uh, as you're talking about that, Bennett, just making me think about all the things that happened with organizations in 2020. And um, here we are sitting in the last week of February doing this podcast. And I remember the last week of February uh, in 2020, everything still seemed kind of cool. We kind of knew something was going on, but we hadn't got to that point of shutdown. Mm -hmm. But in 30 days... We were shut down, the world was shut down, things changed instantaneously for a lot of organizations. It didn't matter whether you were manufacturing, you were an airline, you were construction, you were restaurant, retail, whoever you are, you had a massive, massive shift. Financial services, massive, massive shift. I mean, think about that. Banks weren't open. There were nobody in banks. And so you begin to think about all these compliance training things that Traditionally, when we look at education or how we're developing people, we would see a lot of e-learning and kind of 70-20-10 rule about how are you going to learn and you're going to learn informally. Well, compliance training is not something you learn informally, right? Mm -hmm. Compliance training is not something that's going to happen in the flow of work. Typically, compliance training is something that is very matter-of-fact. It's very straightforward. This is what we're going to do. And a lot of organizations that I've talked to were caught in this trap of a lot of it was classroom. Yep. Um, A lot of it was very formalized training, and that's the way it had been built and it had been run for years. And now, all of a sudden, we're locked out from being able to do that. So that's problem number one is we weren't able to make a transition because we had classroom content. How do we turn that into online content or classroom lives training? Anyway, Mm -hmm. there was a content problem when we got locked out of being able to be together. Um, that's problem. Number one, problem. Number two is, there's a lot of things that began to shut down in activities that weren't going on. So the easy one for us to talk about is there's a whole lot less flights. And so you've got a lot of flight attendants that were furloughed, some pilots, some tech ops people, but on manufacturing lines, even in financial services, And people were put on the sideline. And so what happens, their compliance training expires. And so now you have this group of people. And as the economy begins to roll back up and we're starting to see the curve shift um, on, on COVID. And we're hearing more and more companies that are saying, yeah, we're going back into the workplace. We're going to restart. And so you look at all those people that then in that situation, which is kind of bucket number two, is hey, we, we got out of compliance because we weren't working and we weren't doing that work. Now you got this massive group of people that have to be in re-compliance. So num- number one is the content wasn't the right place. Two, we had a lot of people because of situation that got out of compliance. Um, and then the third piece of it is, The unknown future said, we're not really going to press this point unless it's highly evolved in a risk management situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the inefficiencies of all of that process now create an issue as people start to come back to work, as we begin to look at that compliance and as risk managers and organizations are saying, hey, we've got to be in compliance in order to be able to do this job. So we have one group that we're working with that that they bring a lot of contractors on site to do construction at their facility and plants, but they have to go through compliance scenarios. And so in those compliance scenarios, they've now opened up the classrooms again so they can come in to do that. But now those construction people are so far out of compliance, that compliance is three to four days in a classroom, even during this pandemic time in order to get them certified, to be able to go on and do the construction. In fact, we heard from one group that they spend more time in the classroom doing compliance than the time they'll actually spend doing the construction project. Oh, wow. And so now you're looking at that, and i got to go pay them for the three or four days that they're getting the compliance training. And so you begin to look at all these things, and, and they're showing the inefficiencies in the system and how unprepared we've been for this shift. But now we have this moment to go get Reprepared or to rework and begin to look at learning technology and the organization around that as a critical element in being able to resolve what I believe in 2021 and even into 2022 is going to be. A really big problem to begin to go solve. And there's a variety of ways that we're already seeing people begin to go look at solving the compliance program. How do I shorten that period of time? How do I relook at certifications and compliance? Um, how do we begin to work that? but it's all going to get backed around to two, do I know my technology well enough in order to be able to drive this forward um, and to organize it in a way that we can be incredibly efficient. But that's got to start with you know, my favorite topic you'll hear all the time, data. Do we actually have the data on who's certified, who's in compliance, what has to be done as a part of that process? And, and I think in order to get to this critical point of recertification um it, then then we've got to move that pretty quickly. So one last thing and and then we can all start talking about this. When we look at the three buckets, I want to take at that second one, where people have gone out of compliance mm-hmm. and they've been out of compliance for some period of time. A lot of organizations had started, if you were in the middle of compliance, beginning to do, A more adaptive learning approach to I'm going to recertify you on the things that maybe you don't know versus the things that I'm confident that you do know, which would shorten the time frame to get compliance done. That only typically works if you're in that compliance window and it doesn't work when you're out. Because now we have to have this elongated program and Mm -hmm. plan. So I think that that if we look at these problems, it's really important for the risk management and the compliance department and for the training departments that actually enable a lot of these this functionality to begin to go look at this as an opportunity to go develop a strategic plan that's different about how do we handle compliance. Mm -hmm. And and I think that The ability of learning technologies of the LMS, as you talked about, and other tools all connected together to help facilitate a more efficient process will take us from the fact that we're probably in a lot of ways in compliance still living in 1990s, Mm -hmm. back when y'all were playing Oregon Mm Trails, to what can we really do in 2020 and 2030 and beyond to change the way that we're being compliant? So so let's get focused on the technology here for a moment. Mm -hmm. So, Tiffany, when you begin to think about learning technology, Mm -hmm. the LMS, and compliance, what do people need to think about in terms of knowing or understanding about their system or technology in order to begin building a plan that says, hey, I can make an LMS. Help me be more efficient in delivering compliance training.
2: Sure. So it's a a So many thoughts come to mind. I'm going to start with, you know, think about the parts of it that you're not already using. Often clients have features and functions that they haven't had to leverage because... They were doing classroom training. Um, that worked for them. Uh, so think about that because there could be components in your technology that can help you understand how to shift from that four days of classroom training, get the same type of engagement, but maybe on a, on a quicker scale or even just virtually for your employees. And I'm not just talking about a virtual instructor-led training, but more of that social learning aspect so that you're still engaging with the other students in the room. Lots of, lots of the learning technology out there now have some way to do that. The other thing is, is there some mechanism with your, your current technology stack or is there something you can add where you can leverage it to do some almost crowdsourcing content? So bringing in and identifying who your experts in the business are and, and get them to support bringing, creating that content that you're going to need as you're shifting a little bit from your traditional, we do the week long in the classroom. So I think those are the key pieces is what is the functionality that you, that is there and in your stack that you haven't leveraged before because you haven't had to. And then looking at where can you, what can, what tools do you have where you can help leverage them to get some crowdsourcing?
1: Yeah, I think that's the content piece I think is, is a critical element Mm -hmm. uh, to begin to look at. And I think in some cases technology, um, can be a real benefit there in the Mm -hmm. creation of content. But part of this is also gonna be a business process where you've gotta go back and actually get validation that a change in what that looks like is acceptable. And I know we're starting to to see that from organizations where the business is starting to ask the compliance department, can we change the way that we certify in order to streamline this process because we've got a long line of people that need to go through this process and if they're not going through the process, then I don't have them to be able to work in my manufacturing line or in other places. And now all of a sudden that's going to hurt productivity, especially as industry and business are beginning to try to ramp that back sure. up as we're coming uh, on the downside of the the trends and, the, and, and with COVID.
2: A quick, a, easy example that all of us can relate to is airplanes, right? Aviation. We know that there's been a huge amount of people that have been furloughed flight attendants, pilots, right? So they're sitting on the bench. They've lapsed in their certifications. Their certifications are pretty heavy. Let's be honest. They have to go through some rigorous training, which I think we're all thankful about. Um, But it's they have to be certified in order for that plane to leave the ground. You can't have a pilot that hasn't met a certification requirements flying a plane. You can't have flight attendants, which means as this starts to roll off and these things start ramping up, we've got to get these people that have been on the bench quickly certified so that we can get them back into the planes and get the planes back in the air quicker it's not just we can't fly because of covid right now it's bigger than that we have to have that that process to get people through that that certification compliance process and i think that's with that's just an easy example that we can relate to because most of the public has flown but there are so many more things like that and and looking at it differently so To create content like e learning, it can be a lengthy and expensive process. Mm -hmm. Can be, isn't always. So I I feel like a lot of clients have looked at their four day of four days of ILT on okay, how do I turn that into the appropriate e-learning that and you end up with the same amount of hours of training that might not be the answer it might have to be the answer and that's okay but are there other areas where from that social component you can put the expert into the into a cohort or into a, a learning environment and and use video or something like that to kind of leverage that 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 gap in the interim you, maybe you want to eventually get back to that instructor-led classroom training and that's fine but how can we get the people off the bench and back into uh, productivity as quickly as possible
1: yeah i think there's there's a lot of um we look at this there's a lot of people that have obviously gone and worked at home mm-hmm. um and that's their environment uh and they used to be in the office and. And now we begin to look at, well, um, like there's a couple of big employers in the area uh, that that we've heard that, uh, that are now going to start asking people back March 1st, April 1st, May 1st to go get full populations of people back in the office. And so you begin to think about that. You've got to go through a planning process here pretty quickly to say, well, what is it going to take for me to get people back in the office to get them recertified in order to be able to do the right things? Um, And I heard from one organization that they did all their sexual harassment prevention live in the classroom as a part of an overall program that they were working through, all their workplace, workplace violence prevention. It was all in the classroom. I mean, this is the way, this is a 5,000-person organization. That's just the way that they did things. Mm-hmm. And so I asked the question, what have you done over the past 12 months? And they said, we haven't taught that training. And we're not in the workplace, We're not in that particular position. We just haven't done anything. Oh my gosh, we got to go do something in order to be able to drive that forward in the future. I think there's a lot of organizations that that, I mean, let's be honest, learning and talent leaders over the past 12 months have, done amazing things. I mean, y'all have been working 125% of capacity Mm -hmm. and and working really, really hard, and now here's the next thing that comes up in line, but how do you begin to plan this and maybe even use this as a transition in the way that you handle compliance going forward? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not the old style. Maybe it's something new and different maybe it's some way to begin to change the thought process and thinking and i think one of, and i know one of the things that i would encourage everybody to do is stop thinking about compliance training in the way bennett you were describing <laughs> at the beginning like oh my gosh i got compliance training how does compliance training become part of the career path because actually the things that you're learning in compliance training Are skills that you need in order to operate. Mm -hmm. If you're in a manufacturing line and you got to go take lockout tagout training, that's a skill you got to know because if you don't do that accurately, you or somebody else could get seriously injured Mm -hmm. in in a process. So these are skills. So how do we roll this into our skills inventory? How do we roll this into um, our career development paths, our future of work, to see that this is a little bit different and. and simplify the process. Um, I think that's one piece. The other thing that I would really encourage a lot of people to do is to look at adaptive learning and adaptive learning technology and how that can help you through the process to where you're testing out of what you already know. So you minimize the time that you're learning, but you're learning the things that you need to know I think that there's a lot of proof in how these technologies have worked in the past Mm -hmm. um, that you can begin to take those studies. You can take them to your risk management department and say, I can get a higher level of um, compliance and de-risking of the organization with a less amount of time if I go this direction. And I think there's an incredible business case that can be built out for doing those type of things as well. But this to me is... The reason we're talking about this topic is there's a massive opportunity to shift and do something incredibly successful right now. Don't just do it the way you did it before. How do you begin to go reinvent this and think about your technology as a main, um, main source of automation and process work to be able to help simplify all of this for you? Because mm-hmm. uh, we know it's going to be a big problem for a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. It'll be a struggle we think that technology can really help you in the process.
0: So as we think about technology, especially as it relates to compliance, you know, I, I think now that we're a year into almost um, you know, the shift and going virtual and being at home, being locked down, or maybe even being furloughed or not working, as everything is starting to come back, I, over the last year, I think a lot of organizations either didn't do it, like you mentioned, that one client of ours, Found a way to do it, you know, piecemeal, or, or maybe did virtual I L T instead of I L T, and and whether they had a Zoom integration or a, a you know a virtual tool integration with mm-hmm. with their L M S or learning technology or not, they probably at least made it work or manually input data to make it work. Mm-hmm. So I, I think people have probably been getting by, right, uh, piecemeal or finding a way to do it, a workaround or a manual process. What do you see as, as some potential advancements in technology going forward that will help, other than, you know, some of the adaptive pieces you mentioned, but really help advance the way compliance can be run in a learning technology platform mm-hmm. to not only, you know, make things work as they were bef- in the past, but advance even not just the technology, but the process of compliance and the process of, of you know, delivering and, and managing yeah. courses that
1: you'll have to take. So I, I think it's, it's a really good question because when we begin to look at the technology and, and where that's gone, I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, LMS, a, a fundamental piece of the LMS was to go drive compliance training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that organizations have used the LMS and maybe struggled through the last year trying to find workarounds just to get the learning done right. from a delivery standpoint, to me, it's all going to come back to a couple of things. One is from a technology standpoint, how do I have better data and access to reporting? That That's a key initiative. And so whether we're looking at the Tableau's, the Microsoft Power BI's, there's a variety of other custom tools that are out there, Vizier and, and some others, from uh, l- learning and learning metrics and getting information and data back on where we are for compliance. I think those are new initiatives in terms of tools. And there's a number of organizations like Blue Water who have POVs or point of views and mm-hmm. have pre-built things to be able to help that. That's That's actually, it's tools everybody's familiar with, but there's a different way to use them. So I would say that that's definitely one. The second is, let's go look at the content side, right? So now we're seeing a lot more content development tools that are helping you not build the big, long, friendly e-learning course, but how do I go build more micro learning? How do I go build these smaller pieces of learning that connected together can get me to compliance? And so those particular tools and technology that's out there, um, I think, are evolving very, very quickly. I'll tell you the one tool that I see probably used more than any other, and you mentioned it earlier, Tiffany, go do a video. Mm -hmm. Right? You can go record a video on your phone, yeah, right. on a computer. Everyone's got a, a
0: video recording device in their pocket yeah, I, now, yes. these days. Right? Go
1: record the video. The video actually works. Re- it doesn't have to be stylistic in design. It has to get to the point. And so being able to do that, I think video is really important. Not a new tool, been around for a long time, but new in concept because everybody's not using it that way for compliance training and you need to think about that. The content development tools and the initiation of the micro learning and the advent of just really thinking about video and the crowdsourcing of video to get compliance, I think those tools are really important. In terms of the delivery technologies, I think there's there's a couple of things. If If we look at that adaptive learning, which I mentioned earlier, those tools are really starting to mature, and I think there's a great opportunity to take those particular tools and to use them to help work through this. There are also tools for learning in the flow of work. How am I going to learn when I'm on mm-hmm. the job? I'm going to a manufacturing line, and I need to learn a new skill because this is a new line, and I have to be in compliance, and I'm going to learn that all as I'm going into work. hmm Right, and this is learning in the flow of work. Training. This isn't. Hey, I'm going to go do. I'm going to go to um, Microsoft Viva, or I'm going to no. go to Slack, or uh, those type of things, which is knowledge sharing. That's not mm-hmm. compliance. I'm talking about. I got to go take the steps in training, and then there's some checklist that says by a supervisor that says I learned it. While I'm in the flow of work, great, now I can begin to work. So, those adaptive learning tools, the learning in the flow of work tools, I think are very important. What I'm seeing less important is the LXP technologies. Those are not compliance tools because they're not built to go record that, Mm -hmm. to go see that information. But the other place that surprisingly has taken off, uh, I think, a little bit more in the pandemic than others is. The entire XAPI, how am I gathering more data around content and the content I'm delivering in the learning record store? So, again, I'm getting that information back uh, to be able to drive that. The piece that's got to pull this all together is to have some workflow engine to be able to drive that. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether it's LMS or it's uh, some workforce automation tool that drives you through that. There's a variety of options, but you've got to simplify the process together in order to be able to go drive that. But I think it's really gets into those those three buckets. There's some delivery technology. There's really a lot on the content yeah. side um, that you've that you've got to look at, and and you have to get the data and the information, the knowledge to report on in order to be able to drive that forward.
0: You know, one thing that I, I don't have any specific examples of this, but in my head I'm thinking this is, must be advancing some other organizations must be using this is the idea of virtual reality and augmented reality too mm-hmm. uh you know i'm thinking of a manufacturing facility or mm-hmm. a um even like a, a yeah, oil and gas organization or some kind of where we usually i could go train standing right next to someone doing that job or standing right next to someone on the manufacturing line yeah. and have a pod of people around that person watching them and training or even doing it on you know in the flow of work the last year or so i haven't been able to do that you know i can't stand right next to someone Uh, maybe i could if i have a mask on or whatever but are is there have you seen any advancements chris in in using virtual reality or augmented reality to put myself in that position but from a virtual perspective i think we're
1: seeing some of that um the, the thing that we know about those technologies is it takes a while to develop the content. Right, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's kind of the long, but, but as a future technology, absolutely. Now, what we do know is, I know some of our friends in the oil and gas industry actually use that quite extensively yep. in terms of training around working on a well site, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to go do that augmented reality in those particular positions. I know that there's a lot of augmented reality training in the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually seen augmented reality training in the aviation industry. Yep. And some of that's been going on for a long time mm-hmm. because you've got flight simulators, which yeah. is an augmented reality. But now uh, there's even one airline that's done augmented reality um Uh, And it's actually, it's a full suit and glasses and, and it's, how do I get out of a fire? And you're doing it in a very, it's, it's almost kind of like the Star Trek, um, uh, the Holocaust The holo-room, the holograph room where you're playing. I mean, it's really kind of weird stuff. Now, that's big high-end pieces, but there's organizations that are beginning to able to simplify content development so that you can use that augmented reality in smaller snippets at a lower cost and more rapid frequency of development. As we get to this kind of context point to where the speed of development meets the speed of need around augmented reality, that's that's when it's really going to become something.
2: So something I've been trying to say. (laughs) <laughs> is that you know? Before the pandemic and everything happened, compliance training has been a problem. Back to Bennett's, Whoa, I got to take my compliance training in the virtual reality or the simulation. Sound like really? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Sorry. Go on.
2: <laughs> 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 the virtual reality training is something that they've been interested in, but it's expensive, right? So they mm-hmm. haven't yes. invested in it. Now is the time where I. We're seeing it a little bit more because I got to change. The classroom isn't working. You know what? If I'm going to invest in it, now's a good time to invest in it. So we are seeing it more, but they are more bite-sized chunks. It's not this huge, not as many suits and rooms, but more of the simulated training where, you know, if I'm a mechanic, I can I can show some simulations in the training and, and have that recorded versus having to stand next to my supervisor so he can watch me go through the steps. Mm-hmm. So there's been a little bit a, more of that is coming, and that's because companies or organizations are realizing they have to invest in the shift. Mm-hmm. There is just no way around it. So there's an uptick in that virtual reality stuff coming because – they're forced to invest. They've been wanting to do it. It's more its more engaging than just sitting behind a desk, listening to somebody go through the same PowerPoint that we go through every time because I know how to do lockout, tagout, but I can show you and I can be done. So I just I, wanted to I add I think that.
1: there's now, to your point, there's a business case, mm-hmm. right? There's a business case for the trade-off mm-hmm. and for the ability to drive that. Again, it's you know, the, the cost and the economics have to get there in the right place. But if, if you were to say, hey, 2023, 2024, we're going to see a lot more of that because there's that evolution of the process. But the business cases are there today to begin to go invest. And you may be a little bit upside down in money in year one, but you start to get to year two and three and four. And now I believe that you're going to see a lot of cost savings in in all of this um and that, that goes across the board for everything we're talking about from compliance training if you can use all these tools to simplify then i mean there's some organizations we know that spend tens upon tens of millions of dollars in compliance training on an annual basis and even a couple of them that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. just on compliance training so simplify that you can save the time the effort the money roll the business case together and I think you've got a great story to begin to go pitch to make a change in something that's always been a big driver of what happens within learning and talent development departments
0: yep so compliance obviously is never going away we'll always need uh, you know to validate and and certify and, and make sure that we're able to do the job we're supposed to do um skilled enough to do the job to keep people safe and keep people um you know Alive in a plane or, or, you know, safe with a product that's being created or whatever, whatever, everything in between. So mm-hmm. the advancement of technology spurned probably by some over the last year, the pandemic and everything. Um, I, as with a lot of things, not just compliance and not just in the world of learning and talent management. I think this pandemic has created yep. a shift in the way we think about things better or worse. Uh, and compliance is 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 just the same as, as everything else is going to advance and going to change. And we hope that you all are, are prepared or um, ready for, for some shifts in the way uh, compliance and overall learning and talent management processes are, are going to to continue to evolve over, over the next year, two years and 10 years, you know, right. forever. Mm-hmm. So uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, today's discussion around compliance and, and everything going on. And uh, we, 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 would love for you to like and subscribe the podcast. If, if you haven't already, if you like what we're doing, uh, let us know. If you don't like what we're doing, let us know how we can improve or, or maybe talk about a specific topic uh, that you'd like to talk about or have a specific question that we can absolutely answer uh, over the air or, or just uh, on the side. We are open and, and willing to, to, to talk to anyone and everyone. So um, we'll catch you next week. I hope you enjoyed the discussion and Chris, Tiffany, thanks as always for, for being here. And today I kind of just got to sit back and listen. So uh, I don't mind that every once in a while, (laughs) let the real experts talk. So uh, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. uh, And we hope you have a great rest of your day and, and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks.